Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now we see here that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now let's say, well, yeah, we all know that. But actually, do we know the first time Bethlehem was ever mentioned in the scriptures? Does anybody know where that is? The first time Bethlehem's ever spoken of in the Bible? Actually, you'll find it back in Genesis 35. Go to back to Genesis chapter 35 and look at verses 16 through 21. Jacob and Rachel are traveling. And Rachel's pregnant at this time. And she's about to give birth. And unfortunately, she's going to die giving birth. In Genesis 35, look at verses 16 through 21. It says, Then they journeyed from Bethel, when they were some distance from Ephrath, remember that's Bethlehem, Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear for you of another son. And her soul was, as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel, which is Jacob, journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. Now, we're not going to take the time to go into great detail because I've already taught on this in great detail. And if you haven't ever heard, about, heard it yet, go to my website, go to messages, go to, uh, go to recordings, go to other messages, go to the one entitled, Where Was Jesus Born? And I lay out in great detail with an hour message on the fact that Jesus wasn't born in a stable behind an inn. Actually, Jesus was born in the base of this tower, the Tower of Eder. In Hebrew, it's Migdal Eder. It means the Tower of the Flock. And as I came to realize from study, and actually I wasn't the only one, I thought, how come no one's ever said this? And as I did more research, I realized people had been saying it, but no one's ever been paying attention, that Jesus was actually born in the exact same place that the Passover lambs were born. There was a tower, a watchtower that they would use to watch over the area where the shepherd were being, shepherds were watching over their sheep. And in the fields just outside of Bethlehem was a special group of shepherds. When the angels appeared that night to the shepherds, it wasn't just ordinary shepherds that he appeared, they appeared to. It was the temple shepherds who were in charge of the Passover lambs. And that's where they kept their flocks. And if you remember, the angels said to the shepherds, this will be a sign to you. 
you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Did a star lead them to where they were, they were to go? They knew exactly where to go because they also, gave, when their lambs gave birth, they would wrap them in cloth to keep them from getting marked because they were the Passover lambs, had to be without spot. And that was at the base of this tower, the Tower of Eder. But that's not the only reason. The prophecy in the scripture actually told us that he would be born there. Go with me to Micah chapter 4. We're going to read Micah chapter 5 verse 2 to start with because that's the prophecy that was just quoted here in Matthew. So go to Micah chapter 5 and look at verse 2. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now that's the prophecy in Micah that they just quoted from in Matthew chapter 2. But look at Micah chapter 4 verse 8. And you, O tower of the flock. Remember how we just saw back in Genesis 35 that Jacob went further after his wife died and he moved on to Bethlehem. He was on his way to Bethlehem. He went further and he pitched his tent at the tower of Eder. In Hebrew it means tower of the flock. It's the exact same place that was mentioned back in Genesis 35. Micah 4.8 says, And you, O tower of the flock, in Hebrew that's Migdal Eder, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. The prophecy said that the king would come to that tower. Folks, let me just say this to you. Again, I go in much more detail on, the, on my recordings and my website. If you're curious about it, go there. I didn't come here tonight to teach the Tower of Eder again. But I want you to hear this. All the way through Scripture, Jesus fulfilled the role of the Passover lamb to the nth detail, to the day. Crucified on the day that the Passover lambs were, were put to death. At the exact hour. He's referenced throughout Scripture as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All through the book of Revelation, he's still seen as the Lamb of God. It should not surprise us that Jesus was born in the exact same place the Passover lambs were born. It's an amazing story when you do the whole study of it. But we've all the, over the years been told that it was in a, it was in a stable behind an inn. How would the, the shepherds have known where to find him? No, this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. They knew exactly where it was because it was where the sheep that they took care of gave birth. All right. Now, also being just real quickly rabbinical shepherds in charge of the Passover lambs, they probably even knew the prophecies. Because actually, if you actually talk to some very devout Jewish people and even rabbis, They'll tell you that Micah chapter 4 verse 8 says that the king is going to show up at Tower of Eder. They don't understand that he already did. That's where he was born. All right. Now, let's go back to Matthew. He was born, Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king. Now, this is important for us. We're going to start to do some historical background study tonight. And if you have a piece of paper to take some notes, it will help you. Because I'm going to give you enough stuff that you're going to go... Hang on, hang on, i got to put this down so that it starts to sink in. Herod died, we know, historical accounts, Herod died in the spring of 4 B.C. All right? So Herod, Herod the Great is the one Herod that's being referenced here. Jesus was born during the time of Herod the king, and he died in spring of 4 B.C. So what does that tell us about when Jesus was born? It was, bef- well, no, it was just before 4 B.C. You understand? That's all we know so far is Jesus had to have been born prior to the spring of 4 B.C., or at least in the spring of 4 B.C., because Herod was alive until the spring of 4 B.C. All right? So keep that in mind. Now, 
In Luke chapter 2, go to Luke chapter 2 real quick. In verses 1 through 7, when we put the birth accounts together, you'll see a lot more information. That's what we're going to be doing tonight. As we look at the birth story, we're going to actually put the gospel accounts together. Over the years, I've made this mistake, and I know a lot of preachers that do this. They'll take one of the, the accounts of Jesus in the gospels, and they'll preach a whole message just from that account. But then you find out later on there's more to it if you put all of the accounts together. And over the years, I've started to do that now, and I compare all the... If they, does, okay, if Matthew's talking about something, does Luca talk about that same story? Does Mark talk about that same story? Does John talk about that same story? And as you know, when it comes to the birth of Jesus, only Matthew and Luke talk about the birth of Jesus. Mark doesn't. John doesn't. And so Luke and Matthew, we need to put them together to get a fuller understanding of what happened. So Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, gives us some more information. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. All right, now, now we have some more information. This happened during the days of Caesar Augustus, and when he also had issued a decree that all the world should be taken census of, or taxed, as some translations say, this one says registered. Caesar Augustus died in A.D. 14 at the age of 76. So we know that Caesar Augustus was alive until A.D. 14. We also know that this decree for this census went out in 8 B.C., this decree that's referred to here, as you study the historians and the, and the historical books, you'll find that this decree of Caesar Augustus went out in 8 B.C., now, that doesn't mean that's when it began, that's when his decree went out. Chances are it took a few years to get it all put together. Historians believe it probably took two to four years before they actually took this actual census. The decree went out in 8 BC, but if it's two to four years later, then we're looking at sometime between 6 and 4 BC, which still fits into the timeline of Matthew. All right? Now, interestingly enough, if you do a little research, you'll find that historians have Quirinius being governor of Syria from 6 to 9 A.D. Anybody got a problem now? It doesn't match up really good, does it? But that's why we have to deep doing research and let the scriptures speak. Listen to what it says again. In those days, a decree went out from the Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So we now know that when Quirinius was governor of Syria, there were two registrations. But you say, Jim, wait a minute. Quirinius only served from 6 to 9 A.D., Actually, archaeologists have just found some research that shows that the Bible's true. They found some in their digging an inscription that talks about the Quirinius being governor of Syria during the time of 6 to 4 BC. Actually, it doesn't say Quirinius. It says this individual is a governor, but it lists all his accomplishments. 
and it's obvious from all the accomplishments, it's Quirinius. And so now we've come to realize Quirinius probably was governor of Syria two different times. Once was earlier, then probably someone else was in charge for a while, and then again he was governor again from six to nine. And so the Bible tells us this is the first time that a census was taken when Quirinius was governor. And not only that, there was a census taken between 6 and 9 AD. And I'll get right to you, Chris. Go to, go to Acts chapter 5 real quick. Go to Acts chapter 5. And look at verse 37. Gamaliel is talking, and they're dealing with the fact that what do we do with these guys? They're followers of Jesus, and we can't stop them for some reason. And Gamaliel gets up and he talks about these guys that used to try to be something and they got a bunch of followers and then they all went to nothing. And so he goes on, as we know, and says, if this is of God, you're not going to stop it. If it's of man, it'll, it'll fizzle out. But look at verse 37. After him, this is in the middle of Gamaliel's speech. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. He's referencing a census that was taken after Jesus' time, and, or even during the time of Jesus after he was born, and that's the census that was taken between 6 and 9 A.D. that he's referring to here. You had a question. And that's a possibility, but I, I think, from what I'm digging, I think it's the, I think Quirinius was governor twice. Either way, it could be before, but I, it just seems silly to say it was the census before Quirinius was governor. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, but like I say, archaeologists have found that Quirinius most likely was governor twice, two different time periods. But we know this for a fact, that Jesus was born during the days of Herod, the king, Herod died in the spring of 4 B.C. Jesus had to have been born prior to that. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. All right? So now, during Herod's reign, though, wise men from the east came to worship the newborn king since they saw his star. And they, not knowing where specifically to go, they went to Jerusalem to see the king over the Jews at that time, which was Herod. But I'm going to say then, or did they? We've all been taught, haven't we, that the star rose in the east and they followed it all the way to Jerusalem. And that we've been taught, they followed the star all, that's what the song says, doesn't it? I mean, they followed the star all the way to Jerusalem. Let me ask you this question, two things, two questions. One, why would the scripture, why would the star lead them to Herod? And two, does the scripture say that the star led them to Herod? Look closely again, go back to, to Matthew chapter two and look closely what the scripture says. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. Some translations say in the east, and that's a good translation as well. And have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard of this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now let me stop for a second. They saw the star when? When it rose, you're going to see if you get jump down to verse uh, 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, 
went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. It almost appears like the star reappears to them. And look at verse 10. It actually kind of proves it. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceed with exceedingly great joy. In other words, oh, cool, there it is again. Actually, as I'm going to show you from Scripture, the star appears in the east where they are. They know, and I'll get to why they know from the Scriptures, they know to go to Jerusalem. The star does not lead them to Jerusalem. It does in one sense, and, and I'll show you that in a second, but they don't follow the star. The star rose. They saw it. They knew what it meant. They head to Jerusalem. And for years, I thought they went straight to Herod and asked Herod about this baby that had been born. But look closely again at the story. They go to Jerusalem and they're saying in the Greek, that word translated saying, where has he been born the king of the Jews? In the Greek, the word saying is, is in a continual sense. In other words, they kept saying it. They went to Jerusalem and they just started asking everybody, where's the king who's been born? Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. So they just go straight to Jerusalem. That's where the king they thought would be. And they're asking everybody, where's the king? Where's the king? Where's the one who's been born king? of the And of course, all the people in Jerusalem are like, we don't even know what you're talking about. But then look at the scriptures. Herod gets word, gets wind of it. And when Herod heard that they had been saying, where is he who had been born king of the Jews? He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Because if you know anything about Herod, anybody that even he thought was going to be a chance to be a threat to his throne, he put him to death. There was actually a saying among the Jews, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. Because if you study Herod, if you, by the way, if you live back at that day and you wanted someone killed, all you had to say was, you know, that person would be a really good king. And Herod would have him put to death. He had his own mother put to death. He had his own sons put to death. You do a little research on Herod the Great, you'll find out he was famous for killing anybody that they, he thought might be a threat to his throne. And so now he's hearing, where's this one born king of the Jews? And he's troubled by this and all Jerusalem with him. So what does he do? The scripture says he gathers the chief priests and he says, tell me, what do the scriptures say about this? Where is he to be born? And they said, well, the scripture said that he's to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And there's the quote from Micah 5.2. And if you look, he then, verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. This is the first time Herod and the wise men even meet, is when he calls them into him and says, Hey, tell me, tell me when you saw that star arise. And they told him. And then, and of course, as you know, he says, once you go to Bethlehem and find him, and I want to worship him too, so you come back and tell me where he is. All right? They come out from their meeting with the king, and they see the star again. Because they hadn't followed it. It appears again. And they're like, cool, there it is. And now it leads them to the exact place where Jesus is. And at this time, he's in a house. So we'll deal with that more later on. At this point, he's in a house in Bethlehem. And it leads them directly. Now, we keep seeing here in the word star, and we think, well, maybe it was some kind of a planetary thing. And actually, the word star, I think, also kind of points to this picture. You know how God would guide people sometimes with his glory? The Shekinah glory would appear. It could be something like that, because how could a star just direct them to the exact house? You know what I'm saying? But they followed it to the house. That's what was 15. <laughs> exactly. So 
most likely it's a Shekinah glory kind of a thing. But they saw it and they knew that this was supernatural. It was of God. So since they didn't follow the star to Jerusalem, what made them go to Jerusalem? Well, it's actually kind of cool. These wise men, first off, were not kings, but they were wise men from the east. By the way, I know the, the song says, we three kings of Orient are. Folks, I hope by the end of tonight, you stop believing what you believe from songs and believe what you believe from the scriptures. Most likely they came from Persia, what we know as Iran now, that area there. I think the scripture shows us that they have, may have known the Hebrew prophecies and the Hebrew scriptures. You know why? Because of the influence of Daniel. Go with me to Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, I'm just going to read to you verses 11 and 12. But at this time, Belshazzar is the king. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer the king. Belshazzar is the king over Babylon. And, and they're having this feast. They bring in the, the, the gold cups from the temple in Israel. And they're drinking out of them. And as you know, there's the handwriting on the wall. And nobody knows what it means. And they're all scared to death. And they say in verse 11 of Daniel chapter 5, There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, that's Nebuchadnezzar, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was put in charge of who in Persia? All the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. And don't you know, with Daniel being in charge, he taught them the scriptures. And he taught them the Hebrew scriptures because it's the word of God. Oh, that doesn't prove, though, that they see this star and that makes them go to Jerusalem. Oh, it kind of does. Go with me to Numbers chapter 24. Go to Numbers chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 15 through 19. As you're turning there, let me just set the stage for you. Balaam is a prophet, and Balak, the king, the enemy of Israel, has hired Balaam to curse Israel. But every time he gets up and stands over the people of Israel to curse them, God takes over through his mouth, and he blesses them. And he keeps making Balak mad. He's like, I'm paying you to curse them, not bless them. And Balaam says, look, I only can say what God makes me say. Look at verse 15. Here's Balaam's or final oracle. In chapter 24 of Numbers, verse 15, And he, this is Balaam, took up his discourse, and he said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. What's Jacob again? It's Israel. And the scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's a ruler. 
It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. I promise you that Daniel taught them this passage. And when they saw that star, because they were astrologers, and this isn't one we've seen before, they put two and two together. This is representing the one who's going to be born in Israel, the ruler in Israel that the prophecy said was going to come. I'm sure Daniel taught them more of the scriptures as well and the prophecies that were there of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and so on. And they go, we don't know how long it takes them to pack up, to gather all their stuff, to make their plans or whatever, but they head not following the star, just head to Jerusalem. And they get to Jerusalem and they start asking everybody, where's this one born king of the Jews? Where's this one born king of the Jews? And at that time, people in Jerusalem don't even know what he's talking about. But word gets to the king. He hears about it. He calls in the scribes. They say, well, the prophecy say be born in Bethlehem. So then he calls the wise men and he says, when did that star appear? Hey, why don't you go to Bethlehem and find him for me? And then you come back and tell me because I want to worship him too. And we know from the story, as we just read this, mor- this morning, this afternoon, uh, this evening in Matthew, what happens that night after having worshipped him. They're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And they went home another way. Now, we do not know how many wise men there were. We know there were at least two. How do we know there were at least two? Exactly, it's plural. We know there were at least two. We've assumed we've been told there were three because of the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. But actually, that doesn't mean anything. Don't, don't, you're going to hear this again. Don't try to take a number and assume you know what it means. There is actually, we're going to deal with something tonight that goes to show you that we've been taught something for years. And it's tied to a number. And we've already heard it or seen it in just a little bit. We're going to hear about it some more in just a little bit. So don't build your theology on a number unless the scripture tells you what the number means. We don't know why there were three gifts. We don't know if that represents there were only three guys. There could have been 20. We don't know. Now, we also, listen closely, we don't even really fully know the meaning behind the three gifts. We have some insight being on this side of the cross, and we can maybe surmise as to what the meaning might be, But be careful of just knowing what it is. And I'll show you scripturally why. Uh, For example, gold is a gift for a king, we've all been told, right? Okay, I got no problem with them giving him gold for a gift for a king because they definitely knew he was a king. They came saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? I got no problem with them bringing gold because they were coming to worship a king. But there's also, they give him frankincense. And people say, well, frankincense was a perfume or a fragrance used in incense, which could refer to Jesus' priestly ministry. Possibly. And myrrh was a burial spice, and and this represents the fact that he was going to die. Possibly. But let me ask you this question. Did the wise men know that he was going to have a high priestly ministry and that he was going to die? Probably not. You know why? Because the scripture says even the prophets of God didn't know. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1.
First Peter chapter one, look at verses 10 through 12. First Peter chapter one, verses 10 through 12. Peter says, "Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Look closely. The prophets knew they were writing about someone's suffering and someone's subsequent glory, but they didn't even know who it was referring to. The question that the Ethiopian eunuch asked uh, Philip was a great question. As he was reading Isaiah 53, and he was bruised for our iniquities and crushed for our, our, our transgressions, is he referring to himself or somebody else? That's a good question. The prophets didn't even know. So if the prophets of God didn't even know who it was referring to, why do we think that these wise men did? They just opened their gifts, and they gave them valuable gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, valuable things. And most likely, they refer to those things, but we don't know. Yes, ma'am. I, exactly. The, uh, what I'm saying is, is God definitely may have intended the symbolism, but we don't know. We have to be real careful. We want so bad to explain everything. What's wrong with saying it could be this, but we don't know? That's okay. Ooh, you're going somewhere where we're going. She just said because they were all costly. It may be because Joseph had to flee with Mary. You know what? I think I remember a story in the Bible where there was a bunch of slaves in Egypt for 400 years. By the way, slaves don't accrue much of a bank account. And when they get into the wilderness, God says, I want you to build me a tabernacle. And oh, by the way, don't just build it with anything. I want this to be built with gold. And I want this to be built with silver. And I want these to be made with precious cloth. How in the world, how in the world are slaves who have gone straight out of slavery, 400 years of slavery, going to go out into the wilderness in the middle of a desert and build something that has have gold and silver and precious cloth? Oh, if you remember... Just before they left, he says, go ask them for everything. And they plundered the Egyptians and they gave them gold and silver and precious cloth. In other words, God provided for them everything he wanted them to have when the time came. And you're going somewhere where we're going tonight. I think the gifts are going to be tied to the flight to Egypt. Stick with me. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2 and look at verses 13 through 23. Matthew 2, verses 13 through 23. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is the wise men have left. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth. So what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, before we break these verses down, and we won't get to do that tonight, I want to use Luke's account of the birth of Jesus and this section here from Matthew that we're looking at now to try to pinpoint the rough timing of the wise men's arrival and the flight to Egypt. I want to try to use scripture tonight to try to get a rough idea of when did the wise men actually show up and when was this flight to Egypt? In order to do that, we got to put two accounts together, Matthew's account and Luke's account. So go with me to Luke chapter 2 and look at verses 21 through 24. And then verses 39 and 40. Luke 2, 21 through 24. It says, At the end of eight days when he, Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, and the name given, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, we're going to skip over the story of Simeon and Anna. We'll come back to that possibly later. We probably won't get to it tonight. Look at verses 39 and 40. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So look again at verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee. So when they were done with everything the law of the Lord said to do, they went to Galilee. Okay? Now, we see that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day after his birth, like the law said to. And if you don't know what we're talking about, let me show you real quick. Go to Genesis chapter 17, and then we'll get to Leviticus 12. Genesis 17 is when God institutes the circumcision covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 17, look at verses 9 through 14. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring... Both he who was born in your house and he who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. 
So shall, so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. And any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He's broken my covenant. So God tells Abraham, I want you to circumcise yourself and your sons. And, oh, by the way, do it from the eighth day. That's the eighth day is when you're to do it. Of course, if they're past the eighth day, they need to have it done. But when they're babies, they'd be done on the eighth day. But then the law of the Lord makes it even more clear. Go to Leviticus chapter 12. So many years later, the law of the Lord through Moses, in Leviticus 12, verses 1 through 3, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation. She shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. So we know now that Jesus fulfilled the law of the Lord. By the way, as we go any further, we get this clear. Make sure you understand this. Did Jesus keep the law of the Lord? Did he ever break the law of God? He kept it to the nth detail. The law said that he had to be circumcised on the eighth day. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Back when Paul brags about the fact that he was a Jew of the Jews in Philippians, what does he say when he talks about that? He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. This tribe, you know, all that kind of stuff. Jesus was circumcised according to the law on the eighth day. But the scripture also says that Mary has to wait 33 more days after the circumcision day, until she's clean enough to enter the temple and offer the sacrifice prescribed for the firstborn male. Here in Leviticus 12, look again now at verses 4 and following. She's already given birth. She's unclean for seven days. On the eighth day, she has to circumcise the child. And that's when he was given the name Jesus. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are, are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. In other words, if she gave birth to a male, she's unclean for seven days, and then has to wait 33 more days before she can go to the temple. If it's a female, double it. She has to wait two weeks, and then 66 days before she can go into the temple. All right? And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. So the law of the Lord said, on the eighth day the child was circumcised, to be circumcised, 33 days later... She then goes to bring the child to the temple, and she offers the burnt offering and the sin offering. If they can't afford a lamb, it's to be a turtle dove and a turtle dove or a pigeon and a pigeon, one for the burnt offering, one for the sin offering. But not only was Jesus a male, he was to be offered to God since he was the firstborn. Go with me real quick to Exodus chapter 13. Now, we're going somewhere with all this, so stick with me. I know it's kind of hard to trudge through this, but this, has, this foundation has to be laid for the hypothesis that I'm going to throw out to you tonight. Exodus chapter 13. Look at verses 1 and 2 and then verses 11 through 16. In, in Exodus 13, verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of, both of man and of beast, is mine. Look at verses 11 through 16. 
When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of the animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So he says, look, to remind you of the fact that when I brought you out of Egypt, I killed all the firstborn of the Egypt people, the people and the animals. I killed their firstborn. To be as a reminder from now on, whatever is given birth to first is mine. If it's a male, sorry, a human or an animal. If it's an animal, I want you to kill that animal, sacrifice it for me. But if it's a human, I don't want you to kill the human, but I want you to offer an animal in its place and redeem it. So Jesus is not only a male, he's the firstborn male. Go back to Luke chapter 2. Look at verses 22 through 24. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Oh, by the way, how many days later after his circumcision is this? 33 days later. Keep that in mind. That's important. When the time came, 33 days later, they brought him from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. But I'm not sure, by the way, I said from Bethlehem, but the scripture doesn't say that. And I'll tell you what I mean by that in a, in a second. They just brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. We just read about all that. Okay? Now Luke 2.39 tells us that when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So when they finished doing everything the law said to do, where did they go? They went from Jerusalem to Nazareth. So when did they go according to the scriptures from Jerusalem to Nazareth? Forty days later, after he was born. Do they go back to Bethlehem? According to the scriptures, they go from here to Nazareth, to Galilee. Nazareth, which is in Galilee. Then when did the wise men show up? Because haven't we been taught that Jesus was two years old when the wise men came? And that he was a young child, not an infant when the wise men... And we've been taught that, that he was a young child, not an infant? But the scripture says that when they fulfilled what the law said... They left from there straight to Nazareth. When did the flight to Egypt happen? When did the wise men show up? Because the wise men clearly show up and see him in Bethlehem. Ooh, it's about to get interesting. Matthew's account also has them leaving for Galilee from Israel. Go back to Matthew chapter 2. Look at verses 19 through 22. Matthew 2, verses 19 through 22. But when Herod died, behold, an angel Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise and take the child and his mother and go where? Egypt. 
to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. Some translation says they act, clearly shows us they actually went to Israel. But when Joseph hears that Archelaus is reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid. And so he, being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So Matthew's account has him going from Israel to Nazareth. Luke's account has him going from Jerusalem to Nazareth. When did this visit of the wise men show up? When did the flight to Egypt happen? Many try to have them coming almost two years later, like I said, because of the age of the babies that Herod had killed. They just, you know how Herod had them killed every from two years old on down? So they figured, well, that's, that shows that, it was, that he was two years old. No. First off, what did I tell you about Herod? He, was, he went overboard to make sure no one else would be king. Is it not hard for us to fathom that Herod wanted to make sure he didn't miss him? And two years old on down, just to make sure. Oh, and on top of that, he just did it according to the time that the wise men told him they saw the star rise. They still had to travel a long way. We assume that the star rose at the time that Jesus was born. What if the star appeared to them prior to his birth, but God knowing the timing? You're going to go on a trip like that. You're going to start gathering things up. You've got to get your trip tick from AAA, and you've got, to, you've got to do all this stuff. You don't just go. There's a strong chance that the star appeared to the wise men before the birth of Jesus so that they would show up not long after he had been born. Well, some people try to say that the word translated child in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, means he was no longer a baby. You ever heard that? The word, Greek word paideion, P-A-I-D-I-O-N, is translated, it could be translated both ways, either little child or infant. What I'm going to do real quickly is show you a bunch of places that that Greek word paideion is translated clearly baby. All right, because we've been told, again, preachers have told us that word could be translated, little child, uh, it's been two years, and so that's when the wise men showed up. He's two years old. Why in the world are they still in Bethlehem two years later when the wise men show up, when the scripture says they, when they finished the law of the Lord, they went straight from there to Nazareth? Oh, because we built most of our theology in what people have told us or what the songs have said instead of the scriptures. And I'm going to show you scripturally, this Greek word paideion is clearly used many times to refer to a baby. Now, real quickly, just in the passage here in Matthew, you'll see this word paideion in verse 8, verse 9, verse 13, and verse 14, along with verse 11. And verse 11 is the one we always talk to. And going into the house, they saw it with the child with his mother. And that's the Greek word paideion. You see it also in verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search for the child, diligently for the child. By the way, in that one, we know he's a baby there when Herod has heard about this baby that's been born. It's talking about a baby. Uh, verse uh, 9, and the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Verse 13 Rise and take the child and his mother, uh, verse 13, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him, and verse 14, and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Look at verse 19. 
Herod died, and the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. And they who sought the, those who sought for the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother. Now, I just simply showed you, that's the word, Greek word paideion used in that whole situation there. Now, that doesn't prove that it's an infant yet. But I'm going to show you that just because the word paideion is used doesn't mean it has to be a little child or, or a toddler. It actually could mean infant because I'm going to show you some other examples where that word is exactly used to refer to a baby. Go to John chapter 16. Look at verse 21. In John 16, look at verse 21. Jesus says, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered... What's, what do your translations say? Some says the baby. Others say ch the child... She no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. We know clearly the context here. Is it referring to a toddler or is it referring to a baby? It's clearly a baby. Guess what, guys? That's that same Greek word, paideion. Let me give you another example. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, look at verses 57 through 60. This is in the time of the story of the birth of John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 1, verses 57 and following, it says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the... By the way, that's that exact same word, paedion. Is that a toddler, or is that an infant? It's an infant. It's eight days old. Scripture's pretty clear. Oh, by the way, then Zechariah, as you know, starts to prophesy... And look at verse 66. And all who heard them laid upon their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? Same word. We know he's still an infant. Verse 76 in Zechariah's prophecy, A new child, we know he's an infant, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Look at verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. That's all that same Greek word, paideion. And it's clear in that context, John the Baptist is still a baby. This all happens when he's eight days old. So don't let people say, Well, that word means toddler. It's translated toddler sometimes, but I can show you a bunch more, and I will, that that is not the only place. Go to Luke chapter 2. The word is used to refer to an infant. Go to Luke chapter 2. Look at verses 15 through 17. When the angels went away from them, talking about the shepherds, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. By the way, baby's not on yet, but you're going to get there. Lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this Paideon. So is Paideon referring here to a toddler or to an infant? A baby. It's a baby. So when it says they found the child in Matthew 2.11 with his mother there in a house, it could definitely mean baby. Oh, I'm not going to turn there, but in Hebrews, you want to double check me, Hebrews 11.23 uses that same word, again, referring to a baby. Oh, by the way, Jesus, yes, was in the house when they arrived. But that's believable even one day after his birth. You remember where he was born? He gave birth in the base of a tower. Migdal Eater, I got no problem with even the next day them finding a place to go hang out until the days of her purification were over, until she could go to Jerusalem and make the sacrifice that she's supposed to make. I'm going to... 
I'm sorry? Murray was born in the, uh, in the uh, tower to uh, the day that uh, Mary was able to go back into the church uh, or into the synagogue, but she was cleansed, was the same time frame that they uh, anointed the or dedicated the uh, sheep that were held in swaddling clothes. Definitely. Definitely. I'm going to suggest to you a hypothesis as we close tonight. I'm going to suggest to you a hypothesis. I'm speculating, but like I've told you, there's nothing wrong with speculating if you can use Scripture to speculate. And I want you to wrestle with this yourself. The wise men's visit could have happened between the eighth day after Jesus' birth and the 40th day when he was presented in the temple. Mathematically, historically, it all works. Travel from Bethlehem to Egypt was roughly 100 miles or a six-day journey. They could have gone down to Egypt and returned during the 33 days that Mary had to wait until her purification time was over. And as you look back at Matthew chapter 2, the travel was urgent, both leaving Bethlehem and returning to Israel. Look again in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Remember, the wise men have just showed up, given the gifts, and they depart, being warned by an angel to go a different way, not tell Herod. And when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Sounds pretty urgent, doesn't it? Get up, quick, take him, now, get to Egypt. Look at verses 19 and following. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. If you do the math, it's very possible that the wise men showed up not long after the birth of Jesus. While he was still an infant. While he's still in Bethlehem. They take the trip down to Egypt quickly. They're not in Egypt very long. And then Herod dies during that time, and they come back. Sorry? Well, not five months. I'm hypothesizing that they're back before the 40th day when he makes the they make the presentation. That it's actually during this time that she's waiting the 33 days that they go to Egypt and come back. Hypothesis, but keep with me. I'm going to show you some more. See, the gifts of gold and the frankincense and myrrh would have paid for the cost of the travel and given them pay for their lodging in Egypt and all that. This also clears up those who say that the Magi must not have visited yet because Mary and Joseph offered the poor person's offering when they presented Jesus at the temple. People have said, well, because they offered the two young pigeons or two turtle doves, therefore that shows that that was the poor person's offering. And the wise men surely couldn't have come yet because if they had, they would have, they had gold and frankincense and myrrh. Chances are, first off, it could have been used in the travel already. Second of all, we don't know how much gold they got. I gave my wife gold ring when we got married. Mine cost $22. I don't remember how much hers cost. I think it was 20 <laughs> The timing of Herod's death, by the way, and Archelaus reigning in his place works with this hypothesis because Archelaus began ruling seven days after his father's death. I did all the research of when he died and when Archelaus took over and all that stuff. Seven days after Herod's death, Archelaus started reigning. There's a possibility that Herod dies almost immediately after his decree to have all those babies put to death. He died, uh, 
in the spring of March of 4 BC. He marched it in the spring of 4 BC. Right, and we, are, we, we know when Herod died. It was in March of, of, of 4 B.C. He didn't kill all of his sons. He tried to. But he actually changed his will. This is, again, we don't have time to get into all this because I'm about right on time. But our, uh, Herod actually, right before he died, he was starting to go mentally insane. He actually changed his will. And he actually gave full authority to his son Archelaus. Actually, Caesar had to get involved in all this and Caesar changed it so that Archelaus was only in charge of 50% of his kingdom and they distributed others. But Archelaus started reigning seven days over Judea after his, his father had died. Kind of a thing. I'm not saying this is how it all went down. But I want you to be willing to look at all the scriptures to build your understanding of God's word. Don't build your theology from what other people have told you or from hymns that we have sung for a long time. Let's close tonight with Acts chapter 17. By the way, I told my kids that when we set up the nativity scene in our house, they can bring the wise men a little closer now because we've been taught that it was two years away, so we always set it up way away. So I told them they can bring it closer now. So, But still no cows. Acts 17, look at verses 10 and 11. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than the Thessalonians, those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You see it? They didn't just take what Paul had to say like the Thessalonians did. The Bereans, they received it with excitement, but they also double-checked everything he said according to the scriptures. That's what I want you to be, good Bereans. Has anybody ever heard of epiphany? You ever heard the term epiphany? Does anybody know where epiphany comes from? It's a tradition, so please don't, this doesn't prove anything. But it comes from the tradition that the wise men showed up on the 12th day after he was born. Which fits my hypothesis. The scripture has them going as soon as the purification rites were fulfilled, going from there to Nazareth. Matthew has them going back to Israel. And then while they're in Israel, he gets scared because he just heard that Archelaus is reigning. And they go from there to Nazareth. There's a strong chance the wise men showed up when he was a baby. And during the 33 days before she could go to the temple, they went down to Egypt in a hurry. God had provided supply financially. They were in Egypt a brief time. Herod has died. They go back, and they're there in time for the purification. It's been 40 days. They do it, and they go from there to Nazareth. Again, I'm not saying that's how it happened, but it makes a whole lot more sense than the two years later thing we've been told. I love y'all. See you in a couple of weeks. Actually, it'll be even three weeks from now, I think. So two weeks off before I come back.